Hey kids, howdy, and welcome to this week's episode of Conscious Embodiment, Astrology, and Dreams with Dr. Michael Lennox. That's me. I'm here with Zoe. Hey, Zoe. Hi, Michael. Hello, listeners. Yay. It's the week of February 27th mm-hmm. through March 5th. But like if it's February 27th, when the podcast comes out, actually midnight on the 26th, what's happening in two days? Next month? It's not actually. <laughs> yes! Uh, wait, is this something <laughs> Sorry, I know? Just, oh, no, sweetheart. It's just one of those dad <laughs> joke moments where it's like, you know, it sounds funny in my head. Um, <laughs> yes, in two days is March. When the reason why I mentioned that is, is that this is really the first big, big month of the year. And it's biggity big. Like overwhelmingly big or like just write in your journal, honey? No, I would say closer to the former than the latter, more to the overwhelmingly big. Here's here's the deal around that. Okay. We kind of entered 2023 a little strangely in terms of motion and energy and sensation, right? Because we crossed into the beginning of the year with both Mars and Mercury still retrograde. There was all this sort of pullback of forward-moving energy when we typically are used to sort of moving into the first of the year and just taking off like a shot. So we couldn't energetically take off like a shot as we moved into January. And then while February sort of normalized a little bit because the retrograde sort of finished out and, you know, forward movement began, we also entered Pisces season. Mm -hmm. And Pisces is a time of endings because we're prepping for the astrological new year when Pisces bursts into Aries, which happens in the month of March. So even right there, February into March has always got a kind of diminishment in energy because it's the last sign before we start again. Mm -hmm. So that would have made February, in a standard kind of way, a little less powerful in terms of forward-thrusting energy. What makes March crazy is mostly that We've got both Saturn and Pluto changing signs. Both of those planetary ingresses are major. This is not right in your journal. This is, holy shit, didn't see that coming. You know, when, when Pluto changed signs in 2007, all of us astrologers were curious about what might happen in the world of structures and form, because that's what Capricorn represents. And the banking too big to fail thing happened as Pluto was moving into Capricorn back in 2007, right? right? So the world stage is going to heat up with events that reflect a social and a outer planet changing signs in one month. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to impact all of us on the insides of us as well. Later in the year, there's big months that I would sort of describe, you know, April and May, and then maybe again, like October, but those are eclipse seasons, That's the get out your journal intense months. Yeah. And next year, Pluto's going to continue backtracking across these two signs, right? He doesn't just move in to Aquarius. He moves in and comes back and moves in and comes back. And that's going to make this year and next year intense with life events out in the world as well as interchange. Then in 25, you've got Neptune moving into Aries, Uranus moving into Gemini, making 2023, 2024, and 2025 wild rides on the planet that in some way starts in earnest this month or March 
Now, it's also the first week of the month, which means on Thursday, I'm doing my global healing meditation Thursday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time. So join me this month. This is not a month you want to miss that event because I'm going to be really talking all about the impact of Saturn and Pluto changing signs. I will, of course, do that here on the podcast when those ingresses occur, but I'm going to be describing the entire month as a sort of a whole this Thursday evening. Join me if you are so moved. The theme of this week and next week is big healing. In fact, this is one of the things that makes March a particularly bigger energetic month because one of the things that's happening in March, this actually takes place next week, is the planet Jupiter and the planet Chiron are going to meet up, something that they do only every 12 years. Chiron holds our wisdom to work with the mystery. So we talk about Chiron, the great healer, as reflecting how we turn within and heal the wounds of our past, the childhood wounds, the birth wound, uh, the wound of separation from God that I think we all move through when we come into a body. That's Chiron's domain. But Chiron also holds this notion that inside each of us is a wise sort of shamany type consciousness that understands, or at least seeks to understand how to work with the mystery of being alive and in a body. Chiron in mythology was a healer and a trainer and a teacher. It wasn't just that he got ascribed this, you know, connection to the childhood wound. That came through astrology, that the erratically moving asteroid that our son grabbed that was named Chiron because Chiron was a wandering figure in mythology, and Chiron has a wandering erratic orbit. In the origin story of Chiron, as a teacher-trainer, he was teaching Heracles, who wounded him in the hip with a, a blow strong enough to be a mortal wound. But Chiron, being a centaur, half horse, half human, was not uh, mortal. He enjoyed immortality, but suffered the mortal wound in his sort of half-human side. And in that dichotomy teaches us that we heal wounds, not through making them magically go away, but transforming our perceptions hmm. of them. Yes. And in addition to that, once we heal the wounds, then we are empowered to work with the mystery of being here in consciousness, in a body. And Chiron adds to our experience the consciousness of that wisdom that understands that everything is, in fact, a mystery, and we have to work with it in a certain way because mm -hmm. of that. Jupiter is the planet of abundance and manifestation and good fortune and expansion, but he's also the original spiritual seeker. So if you're sitting here listening to this podcast, kids, you're responding to the Jupiter consciousness of, I want to learn more. I want to grow in my wisdom by exploring different elements of spiritual mm -hmm. expression. Not for nothing, Jupiter is ruled by Sagittarius, and Sagittarius is also a centaur. So the two centaurs are meeting up next week. I will talk more about that in next week's podcast, but we get a really interesting 
heart-opening healing dive this week because Venus in Aries is going to meet up with both Chiron and Jupiter. So right after the new moon in Pisces, Venus was, you know, at the 30th degree of Pisces when the new moon hit, and then 50 minutes later, she burst into Aries, where she will be for a sort of a full three and a half weeks from that new moon. Venus is in her detriment in this sign. Detriment is just a dignitary. It's a, it's a moniker in astrology that gets put on a planet when they are moving through a sign that is opposite their ruling sign. So one of the ruling signs of Venus is Libra. Aries is opposite of Libra. So Venus is in her, air quotes, detriment in this sign. There's archetypal meaning for this, which I always try to put out there as well, which is that Venus is the planet of love. A Aries is the sign of war and masculine principle on fire. It's Mars's sign. So she's not comfortable here. Now, that is not a bad thing. It just means that our emotional body is processing our feelings in a masculine, action-oriented, reactive, aggressive, and fiery way. Now, if you want to call that bad, you can, but that's a judgment. You're adding <laughs> that to it. It's just a quality of, of sensation and perhaps less comfortable, but there's value when the planet of our emotional body is in this fiery sign. We're more driven to initiate change or to start something up, even if it's a little scary emotionally. Because Aries is all about the starting up and the movement, and Venus, of course, is love, whether she's in a sign that she likes or that she doesn't like. So in preparation of the great expander, Jupiter, and the great healer, Chiron, coming together next week, this week we move through Venus first conjuncting with Jupiter on Wednesday and then meeting up with Chiron two days later on Friday. That makes this week very powerful for experiences that both expand your love possibilities with Venus connecting with Jupiter, and then making sure that if there's anything that needs to be healed or addressed at that level of clearing out wounds so that you could get more of that love you're desiring, that's part of Venus conjuncting Chiron. Now, I'm in the habit of giving astrology guidance like day to day, you know, in my Red Robe Astrologies or the daily subscription. But in this case, I want you to really think about what I'm telling you about as a kind of two-week thing encapsulated in a lunar cycle in the Pisces sensibility of love compassion and forgiveness, where the intentions we set had the imprint of Venus at the loftiest, most loving point maybe she can be in, the 30th degree of Pisces. So that intention-setting moment declared, whether we spoke into this or not, that new moon had us in an energetic declaration of more love, please, more forgiveness more compassion, 
And guess what? Every prayer is answered. And so this week and next week, in subtle and different ways this week versus how it'll look next week, we are opening our hearts to more possibility with a conjunction to Jupiter and allowing whatever healing has to take place to make the room so that that love can be contained and held and grown by Venus conjuncting Chiron on Friday. It's a big week for healing this and next week, and my watchword to you guys would be vulnerability. Ooh, big one. Venus in Aries eschews a vulnerability. It's harder to come by when the emotional body is fired up, but you want to keep that in mind and still approach this week and next week with as much openness and non-reactivity as you can so that the energy of the two conjunctions this week can open your heart powerfully, even though there might be a tendency to want to burn things up when feelings are hurt. Something that happens on Thursday is very interesting to me, especially in consideration that we, we have some work to do this week on how we're giving and receiving love. And so I like the fact that the mind is also engaged in a powerful sort of lesson learning and wise, you know, wise teacher impact sort of mental energy when Mercury conjuncts Saturn on Thursday. So there is no healing of the heart that doesn't involve the mind. And there's no healing of mind and thought patterns that doesn't involve the emotional sort of underpinnings of those patterns. So if a healing is possible this week, because the heart is opening up to what Jupiter and Chiron might offer if we are willing to go through potentially uncomfortable emotional experiences to generate a healing, we need the mind involved as well. And so to have Mercury conjunct the great teacher in between these little Venus moments on Wednesday and Friday, that means that even our thinking process is going to be slowing down. There will be a felt sense that there's importance happening because that's an artifact of Mercury zipping by the great teacher. It's like a meetup. If you can think of Mercury as, a, as the god of, of communication, the messenger god back, you know, in, in, in when he was a, a god in the Greco and Roman sort of pantheon, he would run around the universe and meet with gods. And so in this, this week, we've got the messenger in us having a meeting with the teacher in us. So our thinking is going to be guided by the part inside of us that knows wisdom, responsibility, and is benefiting from the lessons learned. Remember, Saturn's getting ready to leave this sign, which means we are, in fact, during February and March, kind of thinking about the last two and a half years of our karmic growth as the teacher's getting ready to leave this sign. So in some ways, you could, you could think of it this way. All right. Next time Mercury comes along and conjuncts with Saturn, Saturn will be in another sign. So this is that last-ditch effort moment where our thinking mind, our perceptions, and our ability to move guided by intuition 
is going to be marshalling the highest thoughts we can work with this week based on how much we've learned in the last, you fill in the blank, the last days, the last weeks, the last months, and the last two and a half years. So, as we move through the second half of this week, be very curious about everything that comes up. It might be possible that something slips by you that actually would be beneficial for you to get and pay attention to as information about your heart and your healing. And understand if there are any delays or breakdowns or slowdowns or changes in your plans, because that can happen when Mercury conjuncts Saturn. If Saturn says, you got to slow down and learn a lesson, you can be sure that lesson or that message will be delivered when Mercury is conjuncting Saturn. But that mental awareness of the right thing and the higher thought and what would the teacher say to do is accompanying this deep Venus trigger of wounds and expansion. Mm. It's a juicy week, kids. Have at it. Another reason we might say that March is a juicier month, a more difficult passage, is because as soon as Mercury finishes up his little work that he has later in the week, he's going to drop into Pisces on Friday. So he meets up with Saturn, then he changes signs, and for two and a half weeks through March 18th, we've got the planet of communication in a sign that is both his detriment and his fall. <laughs> These are two demarcations in astrology that we, we've already talked about detriment mm -hmm. earlier, right? That's the sign opposite the ruler. We talked about that as Venus in Aries is in her detriment. So with Mercury having one of his ruling signs being Virgo, that means that Pisces is a sign of his detriment. Not so happy here. Fall which I think is akin to fall as in falling down, not, not rising up, but falling down. It's that kind of fall. A planet is said to be in its fall when it's in a sign that is opposite its exaltation. So exaltation is just a sign that astrologers have agreed a planet is particularly happy in. And Mercury is both in rulership and exaltation in Virgo. It's the best placement for that planet. And that makes Pisces a double debilitated sign of his detriment and his fall. So that's the classical astrology lesson. Lesson over. Forget about that stuff. It's not as valuable as thinking archetypally. Mercury is our mind, our thought, and our communication which does, we do best when our communication is precise and clear. And hopefully that you're also understanding that your thinking is not who you are. It's just the na narrator and the navigator. <laughs> that's, another, that's another talk about, you know, uh, uh, don't trust everything you're thinking because it's thinking is added in. But effective communication requires precision and clarity, and Pisces has none of that. Pisces is all instinct, all connection, all unconscious. Beautiful for inspiration, 
that still small voice of guidance to be tapped in from the mind right to source. But that can be such a vast, open, archetypal place for the planet of communication that we tend to have challenges with being clear, making our point, getting, getting things across, having that precision and clarity in our communication is much more difficult with Mercury in this sign. So just understand that as of Friday and through around March 18th, Mercury is going to be moving through territory that's going to make communication a little bit confusing. So March is going to be the biggest month of the year. Join me Thursday night and I'll give you some feedback about how it's going to look. And of course, you'll check back in here week after week. And Zoe and I will carry you through, kids. Have at it. I got a question um, a while back about just wanting to know more about the lunar cycles. Barry wrote in and said, can you please describe a little bit more about how each lunar cycle works? I understand the new moon and the full moon, but I'd like a little bit more. Well, today's the first quarter moon, kids. <laughs> so I thought this would be a good chance to just give a little bit of a sort of a fundamentals about the lunar cycle. I know this will be, you know, rudimentary for a lot of you listeners, but for those of you who are newer to astrology, let me just take a minute or two to talk about the four pillars of every lunar cycle and what they represent. So, of course, the sun is our conscious awareness. It is the constant, right? It's not the sun that's moving. It's the moon. Uh, and so we start with the idea that our conscious awareness is what the sun is reflecting. And then the moon, of course, is our unconscious mind. Now, of course, our unconscious mind is much, much bigger than our conscious awareness. And you can use the solar system and our understanding of space to get this. We look up at the sun and we think, oh my God, that's everything. You're burning brightly. It's consciousness. It's light. It's life. It's us. It's huge. What a huge <laughs> energy. Meanwhile, the, the moon is snickering up there <laughs> going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you're all that in a bag of chips, sun but I own the unconscious, which is all, all of outer space. So just think of the proportionality there. <laughs> Our little, tiny little sun that we think is everything is really a tiny little sun, and the moon is the part of us that understands the deep mystery of everything else. Manifestation requires the use of both. Like our conscious awareness has to be in place so we know what seeds we're going to plant. And when we know what seeds we want to plant, where we have to plant them is in the, the fertile soil of the law of manifestation, which is in the unconscious. So when the sun and the moon are together at the same place, which we call a new moon, that's a moment in the cyclical nature of us that our conscious awareness is right there with how we access our unconscious landscapes. So if, if I told you to plant a seed into the unconscious soil, you would naturally look and say, well, when would be the best time to do that? Well, how about when 
sun and moon are in alignment. And therefore, my conscious awareness is more directly connected to the space below where I have to put that seed. So that's what we do in the new moon. And we place all of our intentions into the fertile soil of the unconscious capacity to create where the seed that we plant or what it is we're up to is something known by our conscious awareness. One week later, the moon has moved 90 degrees. So now our conscious awareness and our unconscious are no longer in the same place. They're no longer speaking close to the same language. They're now at odds. And that's a crisis. It's an energetic crisis of our conscious awareness and our unconscious impulses sort of bumping into each other in a manner that is more likely to cause conflict. What you're likely to experience of the first quarter moon, even if you didn't know about astrology, would be a day of being out of sorts, of feeling more stressed. So I'm using the language of manifestation to sort of give you an archetypal sense of the first quarter moon, but the sensation of the day energetically is, oh, I'm off, sort of off. Stress. <laughs> I'm stressed. I'm out of sorts. I don't, mm, not feeling comfortable and yummy. And that might just be the first quarter moon. And so it's back to the seed planting intention setting analogy. This is a moment when the metaphorical seeds you've planted are cracking open and they're either gonna fail or thrive at this point. A w this is a week in, right? A week in. Okay. First quarter moon. Now, this is not literal. It's not like, oh, I want a million dollars, and that f a week later, it's either going to happen <laughs> or not. I mean, we've we got to be loose about the archetypal sort of underpinnings of this. It's an image, it's an archetype, and it's a good way of understanding the energy of the moment, that it's a crisis where things that you intended may fall apart or they may start to grow. Either way, that seed cracking open, that hurts. And so first quarter moon is stressful. Now, a week later is the full moon, where we release things that are in the way of the thing we want to create, and we sort of celebrate everything about the intentions we set that we've already already created, or that is part of our gratitude practice. The release portion at this moment is the most important aspect of the full moon. From the farming analogy, we see the most in our unconscious when the moon is reflecting all of that light back to us so that we can look below the surface and say, that has to go, that has to go, and that has to go. Meaning you see the patterns for how they're attached to you in the unconscious because the moon's bright light is shining that light into the unconscious. We let shit go. And like I love to share in my, in my daily uh, uh, Astro Alert subscription series, I'm always reminding my readers that two days before and two days after every full moon, which is 180 degree opposition between sun and moon, well, right before and right after the sun and the moon pass through the 150 degree angle of release that we call the great eliminator. That's why the full moon is so good at releasing shit and letting stuff go because the unconscious is saying two days before the full moon, let that go. And then two days after the moon, she's saying, I really meant it. Let <laughs> that <serious>. go. <laughs> yes, right. So a week later, 
we've got that same 90-degree conflict between conscious awareness and unconscious, the third quarter moon. So it's also a crisis, but we've been through the full moon already. We've already harvested the benefit and got rid of the shit that didn't serve. So the crisis in the third quarter moon is much more about putting the wisdom you've learned in the first three segments of the moon cycle out into the world. In fact, in the eight lunar cycle segments that, are, 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 that I'm not talking about, the one that happens at the third quarter moon is called the disseminating moon, which is quite literal. We are called after the third moon to disseminate into the world the wisdom we've gained from the lunar cycle. So same kind of crisis at the third quarter moon, meaning you might have that stressful day I described of just feeling out of sorts, but there's an evolution from the first quarter to the third quarter that says, now I have some wisdom, I got to put it out there in the world, and that might be the reflection of the third quarter moon crisis. And then a week later, we do it again at the next new moon. All right, it's dream segment time. Every week, Dr. Michael will interpret dreams that are sent in via email or take a live caller. If you would like your dream interpreted on the podcast, you can go ahead and email us at dreams at michaelenix.com. Hopefully your dream will make it onto the show. This week, we have a Colin Dreamer, um, and here is Adriana's dream. She, she mentions before she starts her dream that she has a lot of dreams and tries to interpret them, um, but sometimes it's the meaning is not clear. She'll get her interpretation right after meditation or yoga, which actually I think is a really interesting topic. No, I love that. Yeah, so here's one she hasn't been able to yoga interpret or meditate on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. In my dream, I saw an <laughs> emerald cave. It was dark, humid, and cold. It smelled like wet earth after the rain. I entered. Deep in the cave was an altar where a woman sat with a baby on her lap. It seemed like she was the mother, but at the same time, I had the feeling that she's everyone's mother. She had the appearance of a goddess. Ooh, ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh. <laughs> Attire was simple, but she looked elegant with her posture. She was loving, warm, tender, and her eyes were full of compassion. The baby was giving birth to another baby, and it looked like the labor ah, was painful. Ah. It was screaming, contorting, and crying. I was outraged. I kept thinking while looking at the woman, it's one thing that the mother experiences pain during labor. And although that's tough, she knows what's happening. But a baby, it doesn't even know what's happening. She can't know or understand the reason for her pain. 
do something about it. The woman remained calm and kept looking at me and the baby with unwavering care and compassion. And she said, although she didn't move her mouth, she said, it doesn't have to be like this. And that woke me up. Yes, of course I hope you can yeah. interpret this for me. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Adriana. Read that last. What was that? Last, that last two thing. Uh, uh, um, the oh, so the woman was and that looking it woke me unwavering up. and said, "It doesn't have to be like it that. doesn't have to be that way." And then, and then woke her up. That's right, baby. There's the there's the interpretation. <laughs> you, right at the end. <laughs> Ba-boom, ba-boom. Yeah, you're, Adriana, you're waking up to something that is profound about what it is to be in existence that we grapple with and that we object to, that we rail against, which is like, mm -hmm. life is painful. I love this dream. I mean, you're killing me with this dream. So obviously we're, we're having a dream about the great mother. If, if, if we're sitting with a figure that's everyone's mother, then this is a dream uh, that Adriana is, is going very deep and having a connection to whatever that phrase, the great mother, means to you. So if we start with the cave, we're, of course, we're in sort of womb consciousness. We're in the most fertile place in the dark. Even though, even though Adriana said cold and the womb is warm, we're in a cave, and so all of that dampness, darkness, the wet earth after the rain as an image, means that we're in the most profound place where creativity occurs, where birthing occurs. The emerald piece I love because green is the color of the heart chakra. I, I'm sure there's probably even meaning to emerald uh, uh, in the world of gemstone uh, uh, iconography that I'm not familiar with, but Google it. I'm sure it's available that there are symbols for Emerald. I think it's the birthstone of August because I'm checking this. Well, I'm an August baby. I remember being a kid and, and being told that Emerald was my, you know, air quotes, birthstone. I'm, I'm not sure if that's accurate. It's or the not. jewel of kings. Ooh. Not only royalty, but also wit, eloquence, and foresight. Okay. Well, let's just grab from that that there's a royal sensibility. It's a very high vibe image from the gemstone perspective and from the colors of the seven chakras, green mm. is the heart chakra. So we're in deep, fertile, feminine, womb-like great mother consciousness and we meet her. So she's showing us what she's all about, right? If we see that the great mother is just a woman with a baby on her lap, then we understand that what the great mother's message is to us is that life is about this deep creative process. Now, where Adriana's getting a little tripped up is, is that her, her mind in trying to perceive this pain of the baby giving birth becomes literal. Like, oh, that baby's having to push a child out <laughs> through her tiny little vagina. But it's a, it's a symbol. It's a symbol that we are creative and we birth our lives just as we were birthed by the great mother. Hmm. In fact, I would say in this, in this sort of symbolic expression, it is, in fact, our birthright to create and birth things as part of why we came. 
And so this idea that we are all just children of the divine and we are to birth our own lives is what this, this baby giving birth to another baby. Just like all images in dreams that if they were taken literally would be horrifying, (laughs) like murder is a horrifying thing in waking life. But in the dream world, it's a symbol of change and transformation going, going on or taking place. So while, yes, a little baby giving birth to a baby would be something to be outraged about. But I think what you're outraged about, Adriana, is that life is painful and that our innocence is caught up in our judgments about how painful life is. Hmm. That when we move through the world in a more wondrous posture, in a more innocent curiosity about the labor that we must go through, the gestations that are painful and uncomfortable, and the difficulty in birthing our ideas and our desires and our goals and our ambitions, as we do that from a place of innocence and recognition that it is uncomfortable and it can be painful, it, it becomes gentler, more graceful, more powerful when we don't judge it so much. So if there's a message that the great mother is giving, it's quite literally spoken in the dream. Right? Doesn't Adriana say that the great mother says something? Yeah, she says it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, exactly. So the only thing that marks that is it doesn't have to be that way. I just, you see, that's what's crazy. I just need people, the listeners to know, like, Zoe didn't pick this dream concomitant with the astrology of the week. You just randomly pick this dream, yeah, am I, I right? I just read through and I'm like, this feels good for today. <laughs> For today. Well, I think it's crazy that in a week where the astrology is taking us through a healing of what it is to birth more love in our lives, but through a process that might be uncomfortable with Venus and Aries and, you know, all of that fired up healing and expanding going on, that we then have a dream that says, it's your perception of the difficulties of life that makes something painful or not. And Adriana is here to tell us that the great mother wants us to have a more graceful and easy experience. And I think that the dream is telling us that we do so by remembering our innocence, by remembering that creativity and birthing is why we came, and that we know how to do this. It's our perception that keeps us in pain and suffering. And this dream is telling us we don't have to see our birthings as painful and as suffering, it's a mind choice. Thank you for listening to Conscious Embodiment, Astrology and Dreams with Dr. Michael Lennox. You can find us on Apple Music, the iHeartRadio app, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. Head on over to michaellennox.com for information on astrology readings, the daily Astro Alert subscription, upcoming classes, and to join the mailing list.